millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Word Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. In today's episode, we're talking to Azizi Marshall an expert in handling toxicity at work and coping with work stress. This episode is super important because we're talking about the devastating impact of abuse and bullying in the workplace, and also giving you some ways to manage if you do have to stay in your toxic workplace for a while. Y'all, we're literally acting it out for you. Check it out. The first thing I like to start with is that I'm a mixed girl from Des Moines, Iowa, that moved immediately to Chicago as soon as she possibly could after graduating high school. So I love growing up in Des Moines. It was just hard growing up as a mixed kid. There were five of us in our high school. And we all knew each other. And I really felt like my connection to just who I was just wasn't complete. I mean, not saying my parents didn't try. They really tried. But I was just never accepted into one group or another. So Moving to Chicago was a huge game changer for me, just in my own personal development, but also in understanding the power of the arts, which is why I moved to Chicago to become a film director. And I adored the program that I was in. Columbia College, Chicago, yay! And so (laughs) I love their program because they teach you not only to be a great filmmaker, but also how to think critically and how to use the arts to impact your community. And I felt like the way I wanted to impact my community was through the arts, but the way I wanted to impact them was not just, yay, social justice, but also the mental health aspects that are underneath all of that. Mm -hmm. So I jumped through a bunch of hoops, went through a lot of school, got multiple licenses and certifications so that I can see people as a licensed clinical professional counselor. I can work with them as a board certified trainer in drama therapy. I can create content for them when it comes to film directing. But the whole goal and mission is to make sure that people are emotionally well, not only in their personal lives, but also in the workplace. And I I do that through the arts. Yeah. And people are not emotionally well. (laughs) No, no, not seriously. Most people are not well, period. (laughs) Let alone Mm -hmm. the workplace. Like yes. Crazy. Well, okay. This sounds like important work. Before we jump into what you're doing, I have a question for you. What was it like growing up with parents who were psychotherapists? Yeah, it was interesting. And you know what, Joy? They weren't only psychotherapists. They were also trained in psychodrama. Oh, so. Okay. 
<laughs> oh, yes. So psychodrama, that is acting out your problems just in a, a simplified way. So anytime we had an issue growing up, we would act it out. And I thought, you know, growing up as a child, this is normal until I went over to friends' houses. And they're just like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, seriously, like we're talking about this, but we really should act it out and talk about our feelings later. <laughs> I can imagine as a teenager, particularly you and your siblings being like, oh my God, can you just, can you just stop? Like, I don't, enough with the questions. I don't want to act out anything today. I'm fine. I'm just 15 and angry. So. Very much so. Yeah. (laughs) But it was so effective though, Joy. I remember um, being a little one and my dad getting really frustrated with my brother and I not getting ready for school on time. And we acted like we were the parents and he was the child. And it felt like the entire day <laughs> went, it probably only was like 30 minutes, but we struggled getting this grown man into the car and he behaved just like we did. And we were exhausted by the time we got in the car. We were like bribing him. We were trying to pull him. <laughs> it was the whole right. thing. And then we finally got in the car. He's like, I forgot my shoes. I was like, no, no. <laughs> and then we processed right there in the car. He's like, all right, how did it feel? And then we got an insight into his frustrations, but then we, he also got an insight into ours. Mm-hmm. So it goes both ways. Yeah. Wow. That you, you grew up very healthy. This is like a whole new level. Cause it's like <laughs> for families of color, like we don't even talk about anything. Mm. just like it happened and now we're going to act like it didn't happen. And I hear that from so many different groups of people, different cultures, first gen, not first gen of just like pushing everything to the back. And I think when we talk about our workspaces and knowing there is a level of toxicity to some extent, you know, you are going to have these challenges. You are going to be underpaid if if you look like you and me, like sometimes Mm -hmm. you just compartmentalize too much because that's what you've been taught. Yeah. Yeah. And not to say anything either. Yep. And then speaking up, what it's, it's going to get you a, a spanking or shoe thrown across the room, whatever. Everyone had mm-hmm. the wrong story growing up. But yeah, so it feels like we're dismantling all of those things we've been taught from people who were just doing the best that they knew how to do. It feels like we kind of have to start from scratch when we talk about advocating for ourselves in the workplace and and coping with any type of stress. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we almost have to reprogram ourselves. Yeah. So talk to me about, let's, let's go back to school. So going to school for film, how did you then like pivot into leadership development and all kind of work stuff? <laughs> so I had a professor who my last semester, as we were getting close to graduation, and I told him, I said, you know, I don't know if I wanted to do film directing anymore. I, I want to go in, into acupuncture. And he was just looking at me. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, right. you're one of my best students. He's like, I have like context for you. And it's like, I was like, there's something missing here. I'm not, I don't want to just make film for entertainment purposes. I want to make film to impact others, to change lives, to create conversations. He's like, well, you, you can do that. It's like, but I haven't seen anybody do that. What would that look like for me? And so he was uh, just a wonderful mentor and him looking and us looking together and going, there's this thing called drama therapy that incorporates film that you can use to then do what you want to do in order to be creative, but then also make the impact that you're talking about. So that's, that's how it shifted for me. And, and, you know, in the back of my mind, I also hear my mom going, yay, I knew you were going to do it eventually, your little rebellious daughter, you know. (laughs) Welcome to our side of things a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. And so I had only, I think I've known one person who worked in this realm and I think theirs was focused on children. And so Mm -hmm. kind of the therapy through play. 
So, you know, probably very different than for adults. So talk to us a little bit about what that actually looks like in practice. Yeah, so we use a combination of Theater of the Oppressed, which was created by Augusta Bowal, and where he went into communities to help them identify challenges and talk about the oppressor and the oppressed and have people play out different scenarios so they can feel more empowered. So we use that in a lot of our trainings and workshops. And then we also do a lot of improv. So then people who they've been PowerPointed to death and they say, oh, you should be doing this and you should be doing this. But then when they're done with the training, they do nothing. Well, in our workshops, we actually teach them how to use those skills in real time. And we throw everything at them. We throw crying actors at them. We throw angry actors, disgruntled customers, and they have to, in the moment, enact with that and play with that, but they know they're doing it in a safe way so they can explore those mistakes and make all those mistakes and be supported so that the next time it happens, because it's not if, it's when, they know what to do. This should be required. And I'm just like thinking about so many industries, like even to work at food service or any customer service, like Mm -hmm. I feel like acting out those scenarios would be very helpful, particularly because those workers tend to be younger and haven't figured out those situations before and had to appropriately react and handle like disgruntled customers and all of that. But also I'm seeing it like from a corporate side of being able to act out how you feel like you're being treated in a situation and what it looks like and feels like to you. And then like displaying it in front of management. Maybe people wouldn't want to do that, but I would love to do that. Oh, it's fun. It's fun being able to play with both management and then the employees that are supporting management. Mm -hmm. So then they can see how management is coming across. So then they can be more effective leaders. So they're both learning. And then also the people who are underneath management who are going, I don't, you know, this is what's happening. Oh, now I understand why you're so stressed out. I had no idea the CEO or whatever was putting that pressure on you. It's just trickling down to me. So how can we work together? Mm -hmm. They both learn from each other. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm like, now I'm obsessed. I need this. (laughs) I need to be involved in this somehow. Like I need to be in a workshop or something where I get to like participate in this. It's so cool. So when we talk about like just mental health and wellness in the workplace, it's not something, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I I feel like five plus years ago was really a topic of conversation, but now has become, you know, very popular for folks to consider and companies to consider. If a company hasn't actually thought deeply about wellness, why should they? They should because the ROI is huge for companies. There's a four-time ROI for anything that they invest in their EAPs, in putting together a strategic mental health plan, in trainings especially, and also in support. So the more they invest in their employees' mental health, the more they'll receive back in productivity, engagement, turnover costs. They won't have to worry about that as much because any place that we've worked with to support the organization, their turnover reduces by at least 50%. And that's huge because we work with a lot of hospitals too, and there's ridiculous turnover in that. Yeah. Wow. And so when you're doing this work, people are really concerned with the numbers, right? So you're presenting like, okay, this is what it could do for the numbers. I feel like everyone thinks (laughs) in numbers. (laughs) They think in numbers until we get in there, then they start thinking in people. Yeah. Okay. So When you're out doing this work, how are you perceived doing this work as a woman of color? Like, do you think it changes the way you operate with your clients than if you were, you know, white presenting woman or even a man? Oh, yeah. I can tell about an experience just in owning my own company and people coming into our center to receive support. I've had many people come in and speak directly to our office administrator and completely ignore me, even though I'm standing right there in the room. And just the frustration of, hello, my picture is literally on the door 
And yet <laughs> you're still asking these questions. And I'm like, hello, I'm here. And then eventually I just go, you know what? You can handle this. I will go step back into my office. Thank you. It was great meeting you. And I realized that I'm not a fit for everybody and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I've gotten very comfortable in understanding and identifying which organizations are asking for our support because they really want it mm-hmm. versus ones who are just checking a box. And the ones who are just checking a box, we know we're not going to be able to impact as greatly as we want to. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you just turn them down then? It depends. It depends. If I see that there is an opening, a glimmer of hope, or at least there's like a couple people on their team who really want this for the organization, then once I get in and the other people that were against it start to see the effectiveness of it, then I'm open. But if everybody's arms are crossed, then that's usually a no for us. Yeah. Cause like who wants to be part of the resistance when it's like, this isn't, I don't even work here. Like I don't have to do this. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to, I don't even know why you called us. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> tell us any other work experiences you've had that relate to the work that you do with other people. Like what can you relate to when you talk to, you know, the team members of these clients, when you talk to junior team members, or even management? I'd say I've been in multiple levels within organizations. So when I talk about having a toxic boss, I can really talk about having, I've had multiple toxic bosses before and just identifying with them and understanding and saying, these are the things that you can put into place to help yourself. Mm -hmm. And then also talking to leadership, running my own company, running an organization, starting from the ground up for like from scratch, just guerrilla marketing, like nobody's business, just trying to get things off the ground. I can also speak to leaders who have been in that place as well as ones who are navigating, you know, multi-million dollar companies too, because I've supported other organizations and just said, this is the stress that is put on people who are in those levels. And they know that I understand where they're coming from. So each level I've been in and can pull from my own background as well as other people that I've worked with. Yeah. And that's so important because Sometimes I wonder some of the people in these spaces or even like HR consultants and professionals. I'm like, do you really know what the person is talking about? Can you really relate to it? Are you mm-hmm. imagining? And, and there's nothing wrong with imagining sometimes, but sometimes you just need to have gone through it to really understand the distress, the employees and, you know, the pressure coming down from their bosses and really figure out how to rectify the situation in a way that like imagining doesn't do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about corporate bullying. Ooh. I think I see it as one thing, but that's only from my own experiences. But I imagine it can look like many different things. It can be from all levels. That's the thing. People think that corporate bullying is from the top down, but it can be from the bottom up or with your own colleagues. It's a lot of toxicity. And when I say toxicity, it's the making you feel like you've lost your mind or that you're crazy or other people I've talked to, they know that it's a toxic place when they are crying in their car and they're waiting until the exact minute where they have to physically be in the building before they go in. Mm. Oh, and so the, have you been there, Joy? Is that, is, that, is that an O? The craziest thing is not only have I been there, but like when you're doing it and you work remotely and you're crying oh. for the Zoom call and you're in your house. So like people would, especially people who don't work remotely think, oh, it's like so much easier. And I, I'm, I definitely think it's easier, but it's really bad when you're just crying in your home before you log on. And then you're like, hello, Peter, how are you? (laughs) Am I okay? And the answer is no. Uh Yes. Yes. So it's changed with this hybrid workplace. Yes, absolutely. I know. And 
Yeah, it's definitely easier, but I mean, it's still happening and people are just as bold as they were when we were all in office. So can you give us some examples? Like even when you were talking about like toxic bosses, probably the thing that made them toxic is that they were engaging in these bullying practices. So can you give us a few examples of what that might look like? Because it does look different, you know, for everyone. Yeah. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns, but a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah, the belittling of the employee in front of others. That's a huge one. I experienced that by a couple of bosses too, where you make a mistake and we're all human. We're going to make a mistake. So instead of having it be a teaching moment, they use it as a tool to just shove you down into a tiny little hole and make you feel like you need to stay there. And they do that not just in the privacy of their own offices, but also in front of your colleagues some of your leaders, some of the people that you are supposed to be supervising so that they see that they have the power over you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Putting the other person down, it is calling of names. It's also these little actions where you've done something, but then somehow the project that you created got messed up and you know you didn't mess it up, but they've intervened to mess it up and they don't take ownership for it. Mm -hmm but they blame it on you. Yeah. So much gaslighting. Is it, can we use that word for these scenarios? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'm sure everybody listening (laughs) can relate to that being like, "Mm -hmm, that's (laughs) happened maybe a time or two, or you've seen it happen to people, right? Because it's happening in front of you to shame them. So, okay, wait, I kind of want us to do like act out something. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> okay. So a lot of people I talk to and that they like send me DMs on Instagram and stuff. They're like, I know I'm in a toxic workplace. I recognize, you know, these different features like you've talked about on the show or you're posting about, but I like, I can't just jump out. And I've definitely been there. You can't just get out the job right away. We have lives, families, bills. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just need to navigate and we need to just figure out the best way to stay in that situation until we can leave. So can we do like a, okay, this is so impromptu. 
<laughs> like, okay, if I'm the toxic boss or mm-hmm. coworker or whatever, and then you're the employee that's suffering but can't leave yet. Can you kind of teach us how we should be dealing with these situations? Yeah, the biggest one is boundaries, for sure. So let's set up a scenario where the boss is saying that the employee has to do something by the end of the day. But there's no way looking at the time, you have like four hours to get this thing done. There's no way it's going to get done. It's a week long project. Mm -hmm. So we can set up some boundaries then with the boss when they're asking for this thing, knowing that it's not going to be accomplished. Okay. Oh my gosh. Is this improv now? It is. Are you ready? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Azizi, I'm really stressed. We need to finish this document for the client and I just need you to take control over it and we need to send it to them by end of day. Oh, by end of day? Mm Mm-hmm. So I need to, I need to put that on your plate because I'm just, I'm too stressed and I'm dealing with other stuff. Okay. Okay. I hear that you're stressed. Um, What I can do is reach out to the client because end of day, I'm looking at this document, Joy, and this looks like more of a week long worth of work to do it right for the client. Because I know you're stressed and you want to have the job done right. How about I will reach out to the client. I will take that stress off your plate. And I will say that we need a week to work on this and they understand and they're not waiting. They're not pressuring you or hounding you. And I can guarantee I can get this done by Friday of next week. How does that sound? Excellent. Thanks for figuring that out. Sure thing. No, that was like nicer. (laughs) That was a really nice boss. Sometimes it's like, no, (laughs) I've decided that this is the right way to do it. And I'm not open to Mm-hmm. Other suggestions, which is so annoying. It's like, why are we in a team together then? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. I like that. Like, cause the way you said it sounded like I'm going to absorb the responsibility. So it's still what the person wants is for you to take it, mm-hmm. but also just being the person to communicate with that client and just like make it also easy and communicative for the client. Yes. And I also named the feelings that they were having. Cause they, you said it, I'm, I'm stressed. Yeah. And so I said, I hear that you're stressed. So I'm going to take that stress from you. You don't have to worry about it. Okay. What's another, okay. What's another scenario? Let's do another one. (laughs) Not be able to get with this. (laughs) (laughs) Another one is when, when a boss is just yelling at the employee. I mean, that's, that's a big one. They're just, they're mad at whatever mistake they made. And the employee's just sitting there like, it's a mistake. I'm, I will change it. No problem. But the boss is still very adamant of, they want to let the employee know how bad they messed up. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can do that one. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I just, I, I know we've talked about it, but I just, I, I can't stop thinking about it. I just feel like you're really not focused on your work. I didn't like the way you handled the situation last week. And I just feel like you're not really here with us. You're not present. Do you even want this job? I absolutely do want this job. I feel like a lot of the work that I've been putting out there has been something that I am proud of. Yet I'm open to learning more and growing. So what are the particular things that you saw that I need to change? Because I want to make this right. Mm, Okay. I like that one. So pull out the features. What were you doing there? Share with us. So right there, notice how I kept my voice calm. That's Mm -hmm. probably one of the hardest things when you have somebody yelling at you or upset with you is to just realize most of the time it's not about you. The, The anger is not for you. It's they're frustrated because this project got messed up. And, and so if you can take the me out of the equation and just feel like, okay, all right, I'm going to keep my cool. Cause if I get activated, they're going to get even more activated. So my tone stayed just very chill. And I owned up to my mistake. I didn't say, oh, I didn't do that or, oh, and I didn't give excuses for what happened. I owned it and said, what can I do different? What was the thing that you saw 
that I need to change so I can start making those improvements. This feels very relevant to just like any relationship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you could be like a couple right now doing a marriage scene. Like <laughs> that could work across. Absolutely. You didn't do the dishes like I asked you to. Oh, right. I'm sorry, baby. Let me do go to them now. This marriage, right? <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing. It's like all of these teachings, when we talk about inclusion, when we talk about managing stress, belonging, like any of these subjects, they relate to all these other parts of our lives. So it's like, if we can master it in one realm, we can just move those teachings over to every other part of our life and just make our lives better. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay. What else do you want the audience to know about this work and its importance and and what people should be doing in the workplace? The biggest thing, and this is what we teach for a lot of organizations, we bring in our professional actors so that they can practice these skills is one, learn how to observe when somebody on your team at your workplace could possibly be struggling. There's a lot of warning signs that we can look out for when somebody is just, they start to get a little bit more quiet or they're more withdrawn or they're not coming to lunch with you anymore, or they're getting stressed out or you see them crying somewhere. Like those are all warning signs to check in with them. So that's how to observe. The next is to connect, to have those really sometimes challenging conversations, but to let them know that somebody's there for them, that they don't have to go through it alone and then respond with resources. There are so many free mental health resources out there. There's 988 if there's a mental health emergency. There's reaching out to NAMI. There's multiple branches and chapters throughout the country that people can gain free access to mental health services. And then knowing who to connect to if they want to do some deeper work, working with psychologists, counselors, social workers, to really get to the root of what is going on with them. Yeah. This kind of reminded me of, you know how we say like sister's keeper? Yeah. It's like, how do you become your co-worker's keeper? Absolutely, yeah. You know, how do I really show up to support this team member? Because I think of, essentially we don't look at it like that, but that's part of the job, right? In order for us to complete our goal and to get whatever we need done the right way, we need everybody to be there, present, healthy. And if somebody is down or somebody feels like they're being belittled or there's a situation going on, it does feel appropriate to check in on that and do the best you can as a coworker, right? You can't like necessarily solve it, but support in some way. And I think there's a little timidness from people to have those conversations and kind of try to figure that out because nobody wants to be in the drama. Like just let them handle it. (laughs) Yeah. To see the challenge is, is that if we don't get involved with at least some of the drama, like the important drama that we could be losing lives. And so if we don't step in, like if we see it and we don't step in to support them or at least offer them resources, we could lose people. I don't think a lot of people listening might understand that. So let's talk a little bit more about that. How, (laughs) I understand that what happens in our workplaces can be life or death for people. And I like to use this phrase of like rearranging your DNA. It can change you as a person. It can change the way you handle things, your outlook, what you talk about, how you show up for your family and friends. And I think people don't want to go there because it feels silly. It's like, it's just a job, but it's also how you are able to do everything else that you do. So it's like a big deal. Yeah. I would say the more we can identify when somebody is struggling. And the challenge is sometimes, especially those high functioning people with depression, they hide it so well. And so you're looking for those little small things. It's like, oh, they didn't show up to this. Oh, that's interesting. Or when they do, they kind of pop in and they leave. And I notice like as they turn around, their face shifts and they don't seem as comfortable anymore. It's like those little things where people are just masking Mm -hmm. how they're actually feeling 
it's so important to check in with them because what they're not saying is, is that they're struggling. And so if we don't ask the questions, we're not going to be able to step in and at least offer some sort of resource for them to, I mean, half of the people don't even know, you know, who, who is locally that they could go see um, that's even taking clients. That's the other stressor, trying to find a therapist that has openings. So if they can't get in right away, what are those resources? And so if we can touch base with people, like at least on a weekly basis, as we're working with them, just to check in, see how they're doing, we can possibly lose people to, to suicide, to just multiple things, uh, alcohol abuse, substance abuse. And we're usually the first line of defense because people who we work with, we see more sometimes than our own family members. So mm. to get people trained to understand how and when to intervene is so important. Yeah. And even, you know, if it's not to a point where you would harm yourself or some, something might happen to that extent, just the daily suffering. Like I remember, I don't know who I reached out to a friend or something. And I was like, I'm being abused at work. And if I was calling you every week and telling you I was being abused by my boyfriend, you would have called my family. We would have like a police officer at the door. We would have an intervention. We'd be creating a plan all together, how to get out of the relationship, how to break the assets, whatever the situation was, yeah. there would be more care and concern for it. And I felt like I was having you know, multiple conversations with people and expressing these like big, sad feelings about what was going on with me. And everybody was like, not everybody, but a lot of people were like, wow, that sucks. You can do it. Mm. Hold on. Like, it was kind of like, uh -huh. you didn't tell me this if I was in a domestic situation like this. So it's kind of interesting how we put value on situations that maybe aren't fair and maybe things should be a little more equal. When you shared that joy, I remember sharing with some friends and somebody said, suck it up. I was just like, How, what, what am I sucking up? I'm sucking up nothing. I'm right. sucking up abuse is what I'm sucking up. Like, why would I do that to myself? And so there's just so many places where it's seen, like you're saying, in a, in a different way where the workplace is just as integral to who we are as people, how we're developing ourselves and growing. And we can't do that if we're in an unhealthy work relationship. Yeah, particularly in this country where your career is a value system. Like people ask you what you do before they ask you who you are, what you like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> tell me about your culture. Tell me about your dreams. Like before any of those conversations happen, people are like, what do you do? And so that should show us how like pivotal these conversations are and working through this and having, you know, wellness in these spaces are. Oh, thank you. This conversation. Also, by the way, if anyone has a film they're producing, maybe I need to be an actor in <laughs> impromptu role play. I'm not, I'm not mad at it. <laughs> You did fabulous, Joy. Fabulous. Thank you. Know. I kept a call. Thank you so much for having this very, very important conversation with us. Um, how can people get in touch with you, stay up to date on your work, work with you, with their companies? They can go to my website, azizimarshall.com. That's the best place to check out all the stuff that we are doing. And also look up artfulwell.com. That gives people a better idea of how we incorporate the arts into workplace wellness training. Oh, thank you so much. And I definitely hope people start incorporating these type of practices into, you know, the communication that's happening in these companies and organizations, because I love this style. And I think it's way more efficient than some of the other things we've been doing over the last yes. decade. So. I agree. <laughs>
Thank you for sharing all of this with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Joy. Thanks so much to Azizi for schooling us on drama therapy and amplifying the importance of reaching out to our coworkers. Have a great week and reach out to one of your coworkers this week. It could mean everything.